The Hidden Lyric, Hidden Lyric. Presented by Presented by Good evening. This is The Hidden Lyric. How are you doing out there? We're coming straight to you at the moment, if you're listening live, from K2K. It's a radio station down in Kilburn. It stands for Kilburn to Kensal. If you're not listening live and you listen on a podcast, you probably found us via the internet, perhaps even through the Twitter that exists to host people like us talking about things like the hidden lyric. My name is Martin. I'm part of Precipitoman. Precipitoman is the organization that's bringing you the hidden lyric. And my co-host is the very wonderful and affable young man, Brendan. I, I, I don't know if I've ever been called affable. Well, there you I, I go. Think, I think I've just popped my affable cherry, <laughs> and, and and I feel I feel like I should be hugged now. Well, there's a, there's a table like a between us. I feel like a cigarette and a hug. Oh yeah, well it's um it's a non-visual medium, so you you could just <laughs> pretend we're having a cigarette with just some heavy breathing and some <laughs> some heavy coughs, and then you know the hug's happening, people. The hug is happening. Um, Brendan, do you want to talk about uh, what the hidden lyric is? Oh, you, you put me on the spot again, Martin. Um, I, I think, I think um, the, the way that I see it, and um, I, I think some people may differ, but I think it's unpicking uh, a narrative about uh, masculinity through using hip-hop as a lens, almost. So how, how does masculinity, how is it portrayed in, in, in hip-hop? Um, what are the good things that hip-hop does for masculinity what are some of the things that um hip-hop doesn't do so well for masculinity and um when all of our guests arrive they 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 are um brave men and women and um, they're having conversations which traditionally i think have been quite challenging and um they're, they're helping us to kind of unpick that quite complex concept of masculinity and hip-hop and what it does for our mental health as mm. well and mental health being another kind of key facet there. Mm. I think we're well aware that they're super broad, super broad topics. Hip hop, well, we've got, you know, without the fact finders going nuts, we're going to say since the 70s, mm. that's, that's quite an expansive time to map the progression of masculinity within hip hop mm. and then how then also we're kind of lassoing out their mental health and how um constructions of masculinity can tether and affect mental health and I think, I think how hip hop well, ties it all together yeah for us. I, I think as well we, we we have to be slightly careful of um not wedding ourselves too close to mental health and masculinity being modern concepts because they are a little bit of the zeitgeist at the moment. You know, William and Kate and Harry have got their heads together aspect, their heads together movement. Organizations like Calm, mm-hmm. Mind are coming to the fore. So they're having these progressive conversations, but it's not progressive in the sense that it's only a new thing. This has always existed. I think we're just getting braver at having those conversations. Well, yeah, saying masculinity isn't a brand new topic Obviously, it's been around for as long as men have been trying to pinpoint identities on themselves and you know, shouting at each other over a cave fire, I imagine, those precepts of identity and who we are and what makes a man, what makes a woman, and why we have to have those kind of binary distinctions in the beginning in the first place. Mm. So the hidden lyric is 
kind of tackling that in in a kind of a well, kind of a very broad way and just fumbling around in the dark, really looking for some answers and hoping that two guys who love hip hop can also figure out a little bit more about themselves and, and how we make up our own identities. Amen, brother. Woo! Joining us tonight is Angry Sam. It's poet Angry Sam who's just walked into the studios. Welcome, Sam. How are you doing? Good, yeah. Sorry I'm late. Oh. No, not at all. We are late starting as well. <laughs> okay. And if you're listening on a podcast, what is the concept of late anyway? Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> you can pause, stop and rewind it. Um, how's your day? Um, bit hectic, yeah. yeah. But it's, um, yeah, no, that was sounding interesting, what you were talking about. Um, you know, I was thinking about that. We said about masculinity is, um, you know, like if you look back from 18th century, 17th century, there's a lot of talk about how men are becoming feminized, mm-hmm. right? And it still carries on today. People are always saying there's this ideal, there's this ideal myth of the man as, uh, you know, the, the strong provider, blah, 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 blah. And now we're becoming feminized and men are losing their warrior status. And, and you hear that today and you read it in the 18th century, you read it in the 16th century. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that interesting because it's an ideal that cannot be attained to. Right, mm. and this is this is often this is that talks about more among women, partly because of feminist movements that have raised consciousness that said we are we are held up against an impossible ideal, mm. an impossible norm that's never achievable. You know, of perfect beauty of and so uh, so of course women have it worse, but women in a way have it better because they're more aware of it. You know, I think men have more of a problem because it's it's harder to talk about it mm. and it's harder to. And, and people haven't analysed it enough. Mm. Well, I, I think as well, when, when we, the royal we, are trying to establish even just what the bar looks like that men have to aim at, I think we, we as a society, we're constructing these, these artificial ideals. We're looking at now, um, you know, the rise of the kind of Calvin Klein model, the underwear model that you yeah. see pervade in, in on social media yeah, and men, in magazines. Men's health, right? Men's health. So yeah, 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 yeah. You know, what they realised was there was a whole untapped market. Mm. You know, there was like half the population has been like um they've played on their insecurities mm. and used their uh their, their sense of like low self esteem mm. to sell them beauty products, right? Mm. And they're like, hey, what about men? If we can make them feel insecure about how they look, maybe we can sell them some stuff as well. So there's a kind of equality gained in that we're all made yeah. to feel terrible about ourselves. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> but, you know, even I was a kid there was like moisturizer wasn't a thing for men, right? And and you know, magazines like Men's Health with these guys on the front who were like ripped guys in. I, I, I walked through. Um, where was I the other? I was I was walking through Selfridges, and uh, there are other department stores out there. Um, but I was walking through Selfridges, and they've got a whole men's makeup se- uh, section now. Um, oh. So they, I, I think they floated. Um, East Saint Laurent did some stuff a few years ago. Um, about sort of touching up makeup for for men, and they put it in a nice gold bottle, and 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 it looked very sort of decorative, and some may say feminine. They've rebranded, and it's now a, a sort of a black, sleek sort of Tom Ford, James Bond esque packaging, but it's apparently flying off the shelves, and it's this it it is to all intents and purposes makeup for men. So you've got your mascaras, you've got your lipsticks, you've got your rouges, you've got your kind of foundation. And it, but it's, it's, it's a big thing now. It's, it's an industry. But it, where you talk about uh, how it's packaged is a big mm. deal, you know, mm. tying it back to music. And I'll get there via James Bond, probably. Um, <laughs> Diet Coke. Yeah. Clearly, uh, what, in, in the 90s, the whole marketing campaign was about 
it's this, this is a drink for women. Mm. Here's a hot guy. He's, you know, he's come down. He's going to give you a can of Coke. Coke Zero comes out. Start pretty Coke much. Yeah, it's Diet Coke for Men. The first advertising campaigns were linked to the kind of um, Daniel Craig's first foray into Bond, or maybe even before that when it was kind of Pierce Brosnan's yeah. swan song as Bond. Uh. Um, and it was that whole thing of like, how can we pitch this to men? Then jump into music, you see it time and time again in rock music, where a band is, is you know, like maybe, I don't know, the Eagles or Bon Jovi, trying to make a career for themselves. Well, how do they do it? Let's just dress up as cowboys. And, and, what and, could be more masculine than a yeah. cowboy? And then you go take it back to advertising. Well, what's a what's a cigarette brand? Uh, Marlboro. What's mm. the logo of Marlboro? It's a Marlboro man. What mm. is he? He's a, he's a cowboy. Mm. You know, he's this lone figure kind of rocking off on his own. He's got solidarity. Mm. So there is that thing of pitching something. If you want it for men, well, of course, it's the same as what women can have as well. Let's just make it a cowboy or let's just like, spin it into this masculine language mm. that kind of is devoid of a femininity or feminine language. Yeah, I mean, mm. the marketing always does this, right? Marketing success is in, is in um, something you can never achieve, right? Because as long as you're continually dissatisfied with yourself, you can continually buy, right? So that's the... And, and obviously we live in an age that's completely about image, that m- much more and more, right? Because the marketing's completely dominated. Politics has been turned inside out so that substance is the the outside and the outside is substance you know mm. so spin is substance a kind of Blair, post Blair world and and we so we're in that state but I think it's interesting you mentioned about cowboys because actually you know I think this masculinity thing is intersects with a whole load of other stuff right um, so you asked me what I, you know how my day was I, I work yeah. in a in a school it's an alternative provision school for young people who've been excluded um, so there's their age like fourteen to sixteen um and they you know it's a tough age right being that that age and I come mm. from tough backgrounds often quite chaotic family lives and a lot of their lives are like on 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 the street and whatever and they were obviously into to certain kind of rap music that that boosts a certain Im- image of masculinity mm. um but what like that intersects so much with class and it intersects so much with race because if you feel like you don't have belonging and if you feel like you, you know there's a, there's a whole lack of self-esteem and, and you're valued so low in society, mm. then you boost that by an ultra-masculine, hyper-masculine portrayal of self. Mm. You know, yeah, yeah. And, and that's and it's a trap, right? I think in some ways you might look at. Sorry, well, I was going to say. I mean, it's it's yeah. it's, it's 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 an armor. I mean, it it, it becomes. Um, as, as as you put it, it, it becomes a protection mechanism, a survival mechanism, and young boys in particular that. Suffering the the masculinity crisis as it's being pervaded in the, the the media, you've just got to look at um, the extent to which fatherlessness comes into that, the extent to which um, something you touched on before the the feminization of men, um, and ju- just as a kind of tangent slightly, um, and and to plug Professor Green for a, for a very short moment of time, um, I mean I've become a huge fan of Pro Green over the last two or three years, not because of his music, but because of his ability to articulate some of the problems that men are suffering in the last decade or so. And he describes our generation, that is the generation of sort of 25 to 35 to 40, as a buffer generation. And by that, he means that our generation looks towards our forefathers and sees the stiff upper lip. They look down towards the younger generation growing up now. And arguably, they're more emotionally literate. 
they are, or certainly they're used to sharing themselves on different platforms. And our generation doesn't know which way to turn. And I'm wondering how much of that, firstly, that you see, um, and how much of that is leaking down into the younger generation because they don't look at us, us being our generation, as positive role models that they need. Well, <laughs> tough question. question. Yeah, I think a few <laughs> things from the earlier you were talking about, um, you know, the, the kind of progressive, progressive turn in terms of the discussion mm. about masculinity. But I think that is a progressive in a sense of um, liberal, you know, mm. um, which I, by which I mean in quite a derogatory way, right? Because what they want to do is say, oh, the problem is men aren't able to talk about their feelings enough. Mm. And if we only just allowed men to talk about their feelings enough, then we'd be okay. You know, mental illness, it's a, it's a thing we just need to remove the stigma and then we, then we solve the problem. You don't solve the problem because the roots of it are deeper than mm. the stigma and the roots of it are deeper than, um, you know, not being able to express yourself, your feelings, right? It's like why do you need to portray that tough man attitude? It's because mm. you live, because of your situation you're living in, because of your class, right? Because of your race. And that lack of race and class analysis in that liberal progressive analysis, mm. that's what makes it not going to solve the problem, mm. right? I think. And, and further to that, would you add, could you add what happens, okay, after you've expressed your feelings? Like, if you can't kind of... You know, a lot of people won't express their feelings because they're scared of what happens next. Yeah. So if you're surrounded by, I don't express my feelings because of why, um, the, the past context, you know, how I've grown up and what I've been taught to do by my parents or my dad or and how he's been taught how to be a, behave like a man by his granddad. So you know, mm. this kind of war meets baby boomer meets confused uh, millennial. And then also what happens when if so I express my feelings to Brendan and then from Brendan just becomes this deadening silence or man up or, you know, or, or just, it's just a punctuate yeah, full or stop. You just or get slapped just, down, yeah, like, down and bullied and, and mm. beaten down, you know, and if you live in that, that kind of circle where that's the norm, you know, mm. and like, yeah, there is like within like, I don't want to stereotype or, or, or to kind of reduce things, but, you know, often in, you know, working class communities, there is a stronger solidarity and a stronger sense of people knowing each other, but at the same time, a stronger conformity. Like, you don't want to stand out. You don't want to be... You don't want to be seen as gay, for mm. example, right? Mm. And the whole thing about masculinity is about not being feminine, right? Mm. Mm. And I think that's... And feminine is equated with gay, like, so the sort of the top... The idea of masculinity is about heterosexuality because it's not being female and being gay counts as being female. Mm -hmm. So if you live in that kind of culture, it's pretty difficult to come out. You're a young gay man growing up there. You can get run out of town, you know? You can get slapped down for it. Like, and it's, 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 it's a common thread, going back to, to hip-hop, it's a common thread throughout hip-hop of um, homophobia. And, th I mean, I, I can think of a couple of artists off the top of my head who are open about their sexuality on the mic um, and I can only think of maybe two or three tracks you could probably push me for a few more in a few moments but I'm thinking Macklemore did a great track uh, Same Love um, which talked about same-sex relationships but those kind of tracks are in the minority and I wonder how much of it is because of the hyper-masculinity of hip-hop and the refusal to discuss sexuality yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, it, it, it is, so there, of course, that you know, the sexuality thing is, is definitely a mm. problem in hip hop, and homophobia has been rife mm. 
mm. the way through and there have been artists who have been more conscious about it mm. um, who have tried to make more efforts like gestures towards equality and so on and have started to s- and seen the struggle you know the struggle the black struggle being mm. the same as a struggle for recognition of sexuality as well mm. there's a few who've done it but it's it's quite rare but then you know you also you also maybe we've lost a certain 90s tradition that was like hip hop didn't have to be hyper masculine you know even if it mm. wasn't artists who weren't gay or talking about gay mm. stuff like they wouldn't have to be hyper masculine they could they could be chilled hip hop they mm. could be like relaxed well, hip hop right mm. jazz hip hop yeah, you know Dead Soul and Tribe, a tribe called and, Quest yeah. you know they did a huge amount for changing perceptions of masculinity for you know we talked you talked earlier about how um isolated males or young isolated men can young men can go to hip hop for a kind of a, well put words in your mouth kind of a cookie cutter version of this is how I be a man. Um, and it spells it out. Well, Tribe Called Quest came along and a whole kind of Zulu nation kind of thing came along. And it was, um, well, actually, yeah, we're going to be, we're dressing completely different like to how you've, you've mm. seen um, Dr. Dre dress or whatnot. Like, and we're talking about things that are completely different to what Snoop Dogg might be talking about. And we're mm. using a very different poetic language. We're also using a different sonic language like we're sampling different things we're, we're doing it differently but how are you saying we're not hip-hop and if hip-hop's how you're basing your identity and building your knowledge of self along come tri- a tribal quest amongst you know others but to use them as like a pivot point and they say yeah this is who we are and we're cool yeah mm-hmm. and you, you know that's sort of the, the chill like hip-hop could be chilled and could be you know um like Arrested Development or someone that go back to like kind of African sounds rather than trying to put that really heavy kind of boom bap or mm. like gangster rap production on it. And so all of that kind of gave a big variety in hip hop. And there's always, you know, and I, you know, I love hip hop and I think it's, it's expression is just, it's very honest, right? And that's, that's what we get through art is a cathartic expression and experience that I listen to somebody and I feel what they're feeling, and mm. it might be it might be tragic what they're pouring out, but I experience the tragic through my empathy, and that makes me feel better in a kind of cathartic way. And similarly, rappers who are really tough and talking about, you know, um, how many how many mans they shot down and how many shots they've licked and all this stuff makes you feel better about yourself because you can adopt that persona and feel like you're the big man as well, right? Because mm. you're rapping along to it and feeling what they're feeling as they're rapping, although really what, you know, most of it's a lie, right? Mm. <laughs> to sell the record. What, 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 it's, it's interesting that that, that aspect of, of taking on, vicariously taking on that persona, that... You know the guy, the man on road, the the guy who's licking shots. Okay, mm. you sat in your bedroom and you're a 13 year old boy. Chances are you're not man on road. You're not licking shots. Yeah, you don't have a car. You, you, you certainly you, don't you, have a gun. You, you you know? <laughs> and you're grounded. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah, no yeah, Xbox privilege for tonight. T- t- 10 p.m. curfews. Um, it's not really gangster, is it? But I, I'm wondering what the risks are with that. Um, you, you you work in alternative education. I imagine you come across a lot of potential cases where you do see young men in particular living their lives vicariously, living their lives through the medium of um, a, a, a media form which they have no affiliation to or no membership of other than they listen to it in their bedrooms. I'm thinking of specific examples of the way that um, uh, young men in particular may affect a certain language or Ebonics, uh, the urban language, Jafakan, mm. call it what you will. And the way that that makes that portrays them to other people, 
And I wonder if, if, if there is a risk because that is disingenuous, where, where the line is between catharsism, adoption of a, a, a culture or a, 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 a therapy, and crossing the line into this is now affecting me, this is now altering the person that I am. I kind of waver between some some of those different positions because I think at some level they're not totally disconnected from it, mm. and it is the it is the slang that they talk in mm. that they're hearing rappers talking about their ends and their manner and their in their slang, mm. and then some of the slang they get from the, the track. So it's sort of like mm. a cycle, right? Because they're listening to this kind of trap drill music, they're picking up the language from that, which is using the language that they're using, mm. right? And it's, a, it's in that sense, it's a very creative thing because it, and it's communal it's like it's not they're not connected like they know somebody's brother or somebody's mm. cousin or someone's going out with someone right and you know you can look at these artists and i'm like wow these people haven't got any radio play but they've got a million views mm. right? <laughs> because there's a whole community or maybe it's one teenager playing them a thousand times right admittedly there's a bit of that but they, they do have a lot of reach and it is actually part of them but at the same time i think it is, and I don't want to be reactionary. I don't want to be like, yeah, back in our day, the hip hop was better, you know, mm. and in golden era was golden. And blah, blah, blah. But sometimes I do think there is a there is a glorification here mm. of 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 like real negativity. So, so, so does let, let, let me let me distill that yeah. a little bit more. So, does hip hop have a duty of care? No, I think we do. I think adults do for kids, you okay. know, because I think the problem for them is that they they listen to it and they sometimes they believe it. Mm. You know, and then, and then you're like, you know, they're like, yeah, but like it's, you, you know, one kid was saying to me, and I was trying to tell him, it, you know, what he'd done was was out of order. He was saying, yeah, but you don't understand, fam. It's like dog eat dog out here. And I was like, yeah, but that was like an old homeless guy who threw a chicken bone at you. You didn't have to stamp on his head, right? Mm. Like, it's not, you know, but you're seeing it as if you're living that life, mm. right? Because a lot of the time you are living in a violent world, right? And you, you don't have a proper place to live in. You're staying on the sofa of an aunt's house or you're in care or whatever. And, and you don't have like proper stability and a home life. And you, and you do live around, among violence. Admittedly, when you're 21, 22, that will all be forgotten, right? Mostly, and you'll just be, hopefully if you haven't ended up in jail by then, mm. and, and you'll just look back. But it doesn't mean that it's not a real threat, mm. you know, for them. And and so there is a danger. So, of course, as the language is, as I was saying, the positives about it, the language is creative, it belongs to the community, it's people expressing themselves in a coded, cryptic way that, um, you know, so, the, so what, who is it? So Kepta says about, like, so the feds don't understand what I say when I rap, right? Mm. So that's what the code's about, the, the street life and, and creating that culture. But at the same time, yeah, it feeds and it does feed it in a negative way, that. That cycle and one well, yeah go on sorry no 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 and Sam uh, not cutting you off at all but um, does it feed it in a positive way as well yeah for like, sure. I'm talking it being hip hop here yeah for no. sure like what you know where where you've been excluded by institutions where you are regularly stopped and searched by the police where you're you're living the, you know you're treated badly by social workers and councils and and you you lack that self esteem and self respect you find in music a culture that respects you and makes you feel better about who you, mm. who you are. And it's like, and people like me are an outsider to it. Yeah. You have that, and if you can't, and, and it's like, if you come to hip hop as a white middle class guy, you've got to prove yourself, mm. right? Because it's like, this is our culture, right? So you come here, you better come correct. And, and mm. you know, and that, that's what music's always done, I think. And that's the, that I think is the history of black music, actually, is, is of, um, 
you know, like a, something that's, that belongs to a community and hasn't excluded other people from taking part in it, but it's rooted in the black experience and does mm. go all the way back to blues and to jazz and, you know, well beyond. Yeah. And I'd say, like, I said this, I've said this countless times, I watched a gig a few years back at Cecil Sharp House, and it was Disraeli, the, the kind of rapper, spoken word artist, Disraeli, with... Yep. Shout out Disraeli, yeah. <laughs> um, with a folk singer whose name, for the life of me, I can't remember, but he's a phenomenal guy. And they kind of paired up. And this folk singer who I'm doing with discredit of not remembering his name, saw Disraeli performing at a festival. And this, I'm bastardizing this story, by the way, so don't fact check. Um, and one of them said to the other, oh, should we collaborate? And they had this conversation. And it came out that they both came to the agreement that hip-hop was the modern-day folk music. And within that, there is a narrative that we've kind of touched on already, that um, folk music is inherently working class. Mm. Um, folk music is about sharing stories um, around the community that might not have access to um, those stories otherwise. Like in, in those days, back in the day of folk music being huge, you know, a lot of working class couldn't read. So like folk music was mm. an all way of sharing the news. Hip hop is now still a way of sharing the news with the masses and sharing stories. And we, we talked on the phone about um, news that kind of digs under, under the news, um, kind of paranoia and whatnot, and sharing ideas that kind of may escalate that or de-escalate that. And then there's just the idea of just a narrative running along a thread where people can follow and hang on to and change, you know. In blues, it happened um, a lot where people would, if you asked a blues singer to sing a song, they'd sing verses and lines, but they would just be patchworking from their own songs, but also from other people's songs. So they're just lifting all over the shop and kind of sampling other people, but building this history as it's going and sharing. And I think that's a really important thing that carries forward in hip-hop. Who was it? Um, it was Ollie who was on the last show, Solo Cypher, shout out Solo Cypher, mm. who's at his first introduction to hip-hop, was his mate um, just delivering a verse to him in a science class or something, a religion class. Oh, is it, is, I think his friend lifted a verse off of another track and, and memorised it and then spat it and said it was his own verse. Mm. And then Ollie later on, when he got more familiar with hip-hop, was like, that's that guy's verse. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a DMX track or something like that. I thought he was good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm slightly losing my thread, but the idea was hip-hop as folk music and the unifying uh, how unifying it is to have a consistent narrative that people can hold on to and kind of collect over, like music being the campfire, I suppose. No, no, I mean, um, like, it's folk in the sense of what type of communities are, are producing it, the sense that it's an oral culture. And um, in that last point that you just made, I've just forgotten. Um, yeah, that it doesn't have the same notion of, like, ownership. Right? Mm. You know, hip-hop has, has often fallen foul of law simply because of sampling, right? Mm. And that's... But there's a... Because we've inherited this tradition that's, like... Uh, that, that has notions of originality and copyright. And that's a kind of bourgeois capitalist Western thing, right? Um, Shakespeare, for example, didn't write any of his own plot lines. Like, you know? Oh, it's, always, it's yeah, it you're, you're, you're opened up a can of worms there. No, no, but I mean, <laughs> I'm not saying that well, Shakespeare, it doesn't mean that you haven't done something original. Yeah, no, it just means that you've remixed and sampled, mm. you know? And the idea, but, but he's still, in copyright laws, when he does Romeo and Juliet, when he does mm. Hamlet, he's, He's doing a story that's already there. No, of course, of yeah. course. It's, there's, 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 a, there's a fabulous um, book that, that I would 
recommend to anyone um, by a guy called um, it's Paul Bloom. I think it's all the, either Paul Bloom or Norman Doidge, one of the two. But it's it's called Descartes' Baby, and it's about the the philosophy and 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 the the mindset behind why um, a copy of say a piece of artwork is not worth nearly half as much as the original. And just the fact that even it is, if it's a perfect representation, it can never be worth the original because the original has original thought and intention and purpose, and the copy is just a copy. So it, it flips that slightly on its head somewhat. Um, but we, we've we've kind of gone off at a slight tangent when it comes to when it comes to masculinity. Um, I think j- just kind of drawing back on on, on something you said earlier um, about the the type of young men particularly that you work with how prominent is hip-hop in their lives as um going to be quite crude and and call it a surrogate father how prominent do 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 you see the the fathering of young men using hip-hop is it prominent i mean i don't i don't know really i don't know how Consciously, they would think. Mm. Certainly, I'm not think they would consciously think. Mm. Oh, you know, this, uh, you know, whatever. I could name some of the sort of drill trap artists they listen to. I'm like fathers to me. I, I'm thinking explicitly about. Um, it, it's it's somewhat cliche, but I think there's some truth behind it. The way that we, as men, look at females, the way that we. Um, look at them as either emotional beings or objects and how does that play out against what is quite a common narrative within hip-hop of misogyny for example promiscuity and we all know the the types of labels that women have within hip-hop music and I'm wondering if I mean I'm, I'm just taking my own lessons from my own father in that he taught me rightly or wrongly about what women were like in his words not mine mm. i'm wondering if how many young men that you deal with find out what women are like or think about what women are like via these tracks yeah <laughs> <laughs> um we did a, we had a session the other day where we got a rapper called uh ogmios shout out ogmios came in uh did a session with some of the kids and, and we were talking we were trying and they picked a, they picked a tune he was like let's have a theme for it we talk about ghosts and then they were talking and, and instead we we're hoping them to deal with ghosts in, as a concept um and it ended up being about ghosting when you don't reply to yeah, a text yeah, yeah. message or whatever, so and it was and it and, you know and it's like the open dictionary in here, isn't it? Right. <laughs> so the kids are like you know, so the kids are writing a verse about how this girl had been on him, but then he ghosted her and like boasting okay. about what an arsehole he was to her, basically, mm-hmm. uh, which was totally fantasy, was totally fictional, right? I don't think he actually was talking about a real situation; mm-hmm. he was just playing up to that vibe. So yeah, I think there is a there's a dangerous mm-hmm. there's a dangerous. Um, hyper-masculinity and a dangerous misogyny that comes through a lot of that, a lot of the stuff they listen to. I, I think that's... And it's, a, like, it's a kind of a checklist, isn't it? You know, if you're playing top trumps or if you want to be the biggest or hardest or you just do this, fat and the other and then boom, that's who I am. Even if you haven't done it, I've said I've done it mm. and shouted about it loud enough and hard enough that yeah. it's believed. Mm. Um, I believe there is another aspect to, to hip hop, a very positive aspect. So maybe this is a good opportunity to play one of the tracks you suggested, um, play him. Um, and it also relates into something, a project that I, th- I 
think you should probably talk more about Sam because um, we haven't actually, in the way that the conversation's just flown, we've spent half an hour and we've not actually introduced our guest, <laughs> which is ridiculous. Like, this is um, pro stuff right now. Um, you're listening to The Hidden Lyric. Well, we're just queuing this up. This is a song uh, by a gentleman called Roots Maneuver. Um, and I'm, a song I'm sure I've heard of him. He's re- the name rings a bell. <laughs> He's done I'm some songs, joking. I think. He's done some songs. Really, really. Um, it's, it's a song called Hard Bastards. Um, Sam, would you like, like to say anything about it while I'm just um, pressing yeah, so buttons? Is, I think a lot of people know Roots Maneuver from, from one track, from Witness. Maybe mm. they know Dreamy Days, but you know he's, he's been going for a long, long time. Six albums now. This is off his most recent album, 2015 maybe, end of 2015, called Bleeds. And it's the first track on it. It's called Hard Bastard. It's a great song. Here we go. We say. It's got this dramatic silence at the beginning. This is the big build-up, isn't it? Yeah, recently you asked me to just talk on the top of it, actually. Um, <laughs> no, it's all right. He's been a big influence on me, is what I would say. And, and, and very honest about his own mental health issues. Yeah, and, and like quite publicly has kind of... Um, I mean, after he released his album, he had this whole like Twitter... Mm. outburst that everyone was just like man please just someone take him away from social yeah. media like yeah, you know yeah. and, and I think it's like often actually that is a time when it happens is like an artist pours everything out creatively and mm. then it's finished mm. um, and I actually I read an interview he said after so he said he often had that problem mm-hmm. after albums that he he has these kind of breakdowns and he needs people around him at that mm. point um, I mean he said he, like I gave a talk about him the other day he, said, he starts with uh, his first album you know, he's got this line of movements on the first track on Brand New Second Hand 1999 mm. where he says, um, I walked the thin line between sane and deranged and it's all Chris. Mm. You know? So, you know, back then it was Chris. Like, it was like, I'm the slightly nutty wild guy. <laughs> yeah? I just like, <laughs> you know, um, do this sort of, do my own thing, right? You know, and, and it, was, it was like proudly himself and quite distinctive, could use his own voice, his own... Um, range of slang that he just mm. made up mm. right like an idiolect um but then you know after so that brand new second hand sort of brings him up to a certain level of fame right and then he drops run come save me which has witness on which is probably the biggest hip-hop uk hip-hop track at the time mm. right probably now you know skepta and stormzy have kind of eclipsed that but for a long time that was the best known uk track internationally wasn't it right it was it was yeah. huge it was and, huge you know and it's and it was then the fallout from that was quite an interesting thing because, you know, the follow-up album, much anticipated, doesn't come out till 2005, right? And it's a track that's about men's illness, Awfully Deep, mm. right? Mm. The title track on Awfully Deep is about getting sectioned. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, a great, uh, I think, uh, I mean, are we cute? I think we've, we've got the track, we've got the track coming. So, um, brilliant. Hard Bastards. That was Hard Bastards. Um, great track. Yeah. Great track. It's, it's one of these tracks that, that I think um, I first got introduced to um, very, very recent uh, in, in terms of the artist Roots Maneuver. Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a child of um, Witness myself. Yeah. Um, I Visions as well. Great track. Um, but we were just having a chat uh, towards the, the, the start of that um that track and 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 we were saying 
how brave some artists are to talk about things, meltdowns, for want of a better phrase. Um, and, and Roots Maneuver was one of those people. He's a, he was a pioneer, I guess, of a, a, a very brave narrative. Um, but um, listen, should we, we should we do a proper introduction for for Sam? Because I feel I feel like I feel I feel guilty. <laughs> Who are we speaking to? (laughs) Who's this guy who just walked in the studio? This is just a serendipitous coincidence. (laughs) An absolute stranger wandered in and just managed to slot right in. Yes, Sam, who are you? Where do you come from? It's like blind date. Oh, so I always use myself, do I? Yeah. Okay. All right, so I'm, yeah, I'm Sam. I go by the name of Angry Sam. I've been uh, doing poetry. It used to be called performance poetry when I started it. Most people call it spoken word now. Mm. Um, since about 2002. I run a night called Hammer and Tongue, which is like a live poetry event. Um, as you might have heard if you've been listening before, I'm a teacher. Uh, I also have published a couple of books of poetry with Influx Press. Shout out Influx Press. Um, and... Uh, yeah, and I've I've done a you know, few other few other things along I mean, the way. Yeah, you've, you've I was a part of a thing called hip hop ed, like yeah. hip hop education, which is a network in the UK. It's like in the US, but it's a UK version of it, which is of like people who are in education who are interested in hip hop and hip hop artists who are interested in education. We come together, we sort of educate ourselves, like a kind of each one teach one seminars mm. where people get up and present. And we all discuss issues around hip hop pedagogy, you know, drawing out a means of teaching from the principles of hip hop. Mm. So, how did you get into hip hop? What was your first, if you can cast back for your own yeah, mythology? Yeah, I think it was like, no. look, I started, um, I grew up in, in Cambridge, right, which is not sort of home to that much hip hop, right, mm. in, the, in the 90s. And then, and I was into the punk and metal scene. There was something about that that pulled me in, you know, the kind of the anti establishment rage. The, the the power of it, the violence, the kind of um, the cathartic violence. I mean, and the the feeling of mosh pits and um, heavy music. I like music that was heavy and hard, right? Mm-hmm. And then, and, and and I'll be honest with you, you know, I'd inherited a whole load of prejudices about hip hop without realizing that I had, you know. Um, but I was naturally drawn to lyrics. I've always been a lyrics person. It's taken me a long time even to listen to music without listening, you know, I just listened to the lyrics and they would notice the production. Um, so it was inevitable that someone who was into something that was like, that was, who liked hard music, that was mm. political, that was anti-establishment, um, that was like sort of grassroots in its thing and was into words, it was inevitable I was going to find hip hop, right? Mm. But it was, it was really a mate of mine who kind of put me onto it. I suppose I went through like Cypress Hill, um, House of Pain, those kind of rappers that I like. They're almost like a bit cartoon rappers, aren't they, Cypress Hill? I, I like them. Oh, they're I mean, great. Yeah. Yeah. But it's almost like they have this whole cartoon persona of themselves, like, you know, just smoking weed constantly and, um, mm. like, shooting guns. But not in a way that's very, like, <laughs> aggressive or threatening. It's just, it's just cartoon, you know? It, they're kind of, I guess, I think, sadly, really, they're kind of grouped into the student coming of age, you know, back when I was at uni you know it was Cypress Hill and it, and it was also Jurassic 5 and then when you leave uni you've got no more purpose to have them in your life anymore because those are kind of your uni days and certainly they're kind of they're almost like a compass point I don't like I don't like Jurassic 5 I have to say really? Yeah. I love them they take five NCs and make them sound like one really bland one no uh, <laughs> not at all Charlie Tuna how can you call I, him bland? No, that's the exception come on right, like Charlie, Charlie Tuna, Tuna talking about Reach Maneuver yeah, Charlie yeah, Tuna no. and Reach Maneuver have collaborated and they're huge together but also yeah. it was partly because I only liked hard music right so then I moved on to stuff like Public Enemy to mm. Wu-Tang to KOS-One um, you know and to stuff that was 
that was heavy hitting and political and and messed with my head you know and it was it was actually you know it was through a mate of mine a black mate of mine who was like you need to listen to this right and and it started changing a whole lot of ways in which i thought about the world that because you know you're taught subconsciously you know whatever color you are whether you're white or black you're taught that black people are inferior right that they that the white people are the intelligent ones that's just there in the kind of social psyche right yeah 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 so that's a problem yeah. as a as a black man because you've got to grow up with that around you right and it's also a problem as a white man because you inherit the the racism right the supremacy and you have to get that out of your head and i think hip hop helped me because it's like you cannot listen to KRS and think black people are less intelligent Mm. <laughs> the teacher you know you just you're suddenly like wow you know i didn't know there was music like this right and i'm and i'm finding st- actually a big album for me that my mate put me onto was it was an album by ice t called home invasion mm. now i don't know if you know that album but it's not it's not a great album it's probably most famous for producing 99 problems right which obviously jay-z like mm. reworked like super misogynist track but um in in the in ict's original but the front cover of it is a classic cover and it's got it's, a, it's all hand drawn and it's like this white boy is sitting in his room with his walkman on and he's listening to nwa and ice cube and ice tea and public enemy and he's got the malcolm x autobiography there and all around him is like images from gangster rap right of like a black militant clubbing to death the white professor with the end of a rifle butt of like this sort of black pimp with his, you know, the woman in front of him, all this stuff. And, um, and they say, you know, and the whole thing's kind of got this gangster aesthetic. It starts with like, we've got, you know, we, we're like, I've got people everywhere. We've got, all they need is my orders to move. If any pig gets in our way, you know, it's this nonsense, right? It's like, no, you don't, right? But then they said, but the title track, Home Invasion says, you ask us what we did, we stole your fucking kids. It's a home invasion, you know? Mm. And that's me, you know, and that's me. I'm the, you know, I'm one of very many white kids sitting in that room listening to this stuff and totally changing my mindset. Mm. Right? So that's how, I guess, that's kind of my route. Yeah. And then I really got into UK. I don't know, I don't know if I'm just, bit patriotic or nationalist or something but i'm just more interested in stuff that talks about our life you know and, and stuff that, in yeah. our language and our dialect and and so I'm, i've always been a big uk fan i listen to much more uk mm. hip-hop than us hip-hop. still to, to this day yeah, yeah. that's interesting because i think i like i was so proud when i found it because i think I had a similar kind of kind of background to you in a sense i was really into rock music and it got rock music became heavy rock music and heavy rock music did dip into glam music then glam turned into like death metal and death metal turned into prog metal and then suddenly it was like i was a bit lost and the lyrics were just i'm again always i've always been a songwriter so i've always been super interested in lyrics and then it was a friend of mine and it was roots maneuver Played me a Roots Maneuver song. Roots Maneuver's a friend of yours, did you just say? No. (laughs) A friend of mine. A friend of mine. mine, Comma, Roots Maneuver. Maneuver. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, grammar isn't everything. Um, Yeah, played me some Roots Maneuver and then someone, and then after that, he kind of followed that up with Jest and it's, you know, it's, it's textbook kind of white middle class guy getting into hip hop and then from that someone else gave me a CD with loads of Def Jux stuff on it and then mm. more low life stuff and then some rhyme says and then from there you know I kind of started to get my own route around head around hip hop but yeah I came up with some similar biases but back to that point I don't listen to a lot of UK hip hop anymore I try but I don't 
I say I try, it's not like I'm doing homework, but sometimes it feels like I'm doing some homework, trying to find the stuff I'm into, you know, that's not, because boom bap is a big thing. And I mean, like, the revival of boom bap in Newgate, boom bap in Newgate hip hop is a big thing. Mm. Um, high focus, they're doing a huge thing for selling hip hop records terms of how they're what their subject matter is it generally just feels like they're kind of going towards broad brush strokes the stone teenage boy yeah kind of encouraging that kind of um all the kind of issues that we're talking today that can be perceived uh, are negative about hip-hop kind of not really encouraging I empathy like you, i thought like uk stuff. hip-hop's yeah. had waves right you know and there's a wave of uk hip-hop that i'm too young for that i don't really know much about of the 80s and 90s early mm. 90s hip-hop but then you know the stuff that the the kind of the 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 era that produced Roots Maneuver that you know from following on from Rodney P and then you know people like Black Twang, um, MCD, Skinny Man, Jester, Roots Maneuver, Chester P, all that lot, then that kind of reached a peak and then it kind of disappeared, right? And all those lot fell away. And brain tax, brain tax disappeared. <laughs> with the money, the record labels dropped them, you know, and it and it disappeared. And then grime emerged. Which was to- actually was totally disconnected. Like they, were, the grime mm. artists were not listening to those UK artists. They were listening to American hip hop and garage, right? Mm. Mm. Kate, you know? Oh, hello, K to K radio. Shout out K to K. You are listening Ooh. to the We've got a bit of a crossover here. Carol, don't worry about that. Wow. We are still here. We've just got um, someone knocking down our airwaves. <laughs> yeah. And then, we'll probably know, edit that out in the mix. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just repeat that last little section. Yeah, so after, you know, and then Grime, Grime got shut down, really, didn't it? In, mm. in a sense, with those laws that stopped live, stopped live shows of it. And has now gone through this revival. So, and, you know, now you've got this, this sort of trap and drill and that stuff that's coming out. And, mm. you know, I, I don't know. There's, there's a lot in it. But I basically... I don't know, I find more interest in, in the UK just because I feel like it connects more to me. Mm. I'm not saying it's necessarily better, but <laughs> that's... No, absolutely, it's personal preference, isn't yeah. it? But, it's tie, but I want to tie this again to, or, or, or jump over back to you, because we seem to drift away from you a lot. Um, you've got a show called The Poetry of Madness. Uh, is, that, is that correct? Is that yes, the, we did a show. show it, was, it was a couple of years ago. I did a show with two other poets, one called Zena Edwards, another guy called Mark Wynne-Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, and we tried to explore. We had a little bit of funding, not as much as we hoped for. We tried to explore um, madness, basically, through okay. poetry. We, we spoke to a lot of scientists, social scientists, whatever, uh, and they tried to inform it and, and use that as a collaborative performance poetry theatre piece between with three artists that involved audience discussion that try to open up topics of mental illness mental health how 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 successful was it in was it in in starting those being a primer to those conversations yeah, the conversations that we had at the shows were amazing you know people the, the whole we suddenly break out of the show we go into discussion and suddenly get the whole audience talking about things and people were really you know got really emotional responses from people take afterwards saying about what they experienced from it casting your mind back could you say that there's an equal balance of male and female um, participants in that audience, kind of like using that as an opportunity to kind of talk about um, their vulnerabilities. I mean, it's not going to be empirical. You no, know, no, no. I mean, but... probably. I didn't notice one way or the other it being particularly one way or the other. But yeah, I don't know. We we tried to, but we trying to. You know, you're trying to think about it. It's like, look, what's what is mental illness? What's going on? Is it is it just a kind of chemical deficiency? You know, is it a genetic um, predisposition? Mm. Um, is it is it that we there's there's a okay, there's a, there's a well, we started from the premise right that mental illness is on the rise, right? And there's sort of three main explanations for that. One is something like 
um, we we have we're in a society we're kind of at loose in society. You know, we don't have fixed roles anymore. People don't know who they are or where they stand for. So people are like lost, and that's kind of making people feel depressed or anxious or whatever. Um, there's another side that says it's just diagnosis has gone up. Mm. That it was always there, but just now we do, things that weren't pre were just awareness. Just, Right. Awareness or diagnosis, whichever you look at it, you can look at that. The, 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 what's the thing that classifies all the mental illnesses? The, the DSMV. Yeah, that, that just gets bigger and yeah. bigger all the time. Yeah, yeah, they keep yeah, finding yeah. new disorders. Other, so, so maybe, rightly or wrongly, there's more things being diagnosed, right? Yeah. That's one other explanation. And another explanation that we are kind of like, which is like society is sick and we are part of society. Mm. And actually, you know, what is the structure of society? We live in, um, you know, a, a society that is about boom and bust. Right. Post-liberalism. Post <laughs> well, yeah, but it's, it's boom and bust economic cycles. It's about media hypes and unattainable um, celebrity culture coupled with the mundane and the inaccessible and the complete lack of social mobility and inequality that's kind of bipolar. It's bipolar to its core, right? Mm. The, the whole workings of it are, you know, hey, you can be whatever you want to be whenever you want. You can have everything, but you can't. You know, the actual reality is bipolar. And, and, and also within it, there's a kind of, you know, I'm quite in, you know, there's a bit that I haven't read very much of, but like Deleuze and Galtari analyze this idea of schizophrenia, you know, of, schiz of, of the schizoid kind of being at the exterior limit of, of capitalism. And an artist like Roots Maneuver who demonstrates those, those tendencies where you start to lose the notion of what's interior and what's external, mm. you know, I sympathise with that because I've had those issues myself, mm. you know, where I, I, you know, hearing voices, thinking I'm seeing signs, um, you know, had a few years of real difficult struggle with that. Obviously, you know, brought on, not that brought on and could, like by smoking loads of weed, but like it wasn't the cause of it, right? There mm -hmm. was, it was, there was a, it was a trigger for something that was in me. Yeah. Um, but but I feel like the problems that we go through are not individual problems. I think they're part of us. You know, yeah, some of us may have more of a tendency towards it than others, but I feel like it's a societal problem that we need to be. Absolutely. We don't live at. in a silo. Um, yeah. We are a community for, even if we don't believe we are, we rub against each other, we, we hear each other, we talk to each other, we share ideas. We, you, you kind of touched on aspiration and... Um, Brendan, perhaps you can help me out this term. There's a term in therapy, which I think is like uh, something to do with positive um, model visualization. Fact those, check those, me, those are all precipto man. Those um, are all words. They are um, all words. Basically, <laughs> it's a model that's made up of three words. But what it means is, is somehow it's like aspiration and, and imagining a better version of yourself that you can get to. In a lot of you're, you're, you're beginning to sound like a student of Freud. Yeah. You, 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 you're kind of dipping into ego, super ego, and id, possibly. No, I'm not. Ubermensch. Let's, let's no, throw out psychological not. terms. Put a sock in it. <laughs> like, so having these, these, this something to, something to become, basically, aspiration, I'm pulling it back to hip-hop because it talks a lot about that, Self-fulfilling prophecy. Not self-fulfilling because, you know, you can be a rapper who's talking about, yeah, one day I'm going to have... Um, 10 cars I'm going to get all the girls and mm. uh, I'm going to have a hustler knocking down my door for interviews those aren't things that you're going to achieve just by saying it but maybe by saying it, it's going to help you along the path to get it 
So you have this kind of idea that you can project this um, self that you want to become but haven't yet become in a society that says, yeah, we kind of encourage aspiration, but you know you're not going anywhere anyway. And then you've got hip-hop comes along and says, we're going there, we've got there. Like, you can do this. It's kind of encouraging the individual. Yeah, and it's, I remember hearing this interview on the radio, right? There was like a boxing gym in New York and it was taking, it was right in the Bronx or somewhere and it was, you know, we're taking people come out of prison and, and they were saying, when they talked, people were just talking in the gym and they talked politics, they were all like, yeah, it's corrupt man, the government, the man's holding us down, the government this, government that, um, there's no chance for us, like, they hate black people, blah, 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 right? But when they were talking to the people individually, they're saying, come on, you can do it, you can be anyone, you can get yourself out of this and given these sort of what you might call neoliberal success stories, like you mm. can be anyone you want. At the same, and so the, the ethnologist, the anthropologist, basically, this woman, she says to them, why, how do you reconcile these two things that you say society's messed up and there's no hope for us and we're being you know, deliberately kept down and at the same time you're saying to them individually, you can be whoever you want to be. Mm. Right? How do you reconcile that? And they were like, well, yeah, that's what we, but that's what you say to people like you have to give people hope right yeah so it's like you know and that's and that's what we have to live through we have to live through a knowledge of of the fact that we live in an extremely unequal society that is run for the benefit of a small class right mm. and at the same time believe that we can do better and can better ourselves mm. without falling prey to that and that's a very difficult journey to navigate I think. it's like a bit of cognitive dissonance but also yeah. at the end of it hip-hop is hope yeah, go throw that one out there. Uh, yeah, right. yeah, 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 yeah. And someone famous once said, "Hope can kill a man." Um, <laughs> so, so I'm, 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 I'm. Apologies. It's my next album, actually. Really, yeah, really, it is. really. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I can't, I can't help but notice you've got some stuff in front of you, which, which I'm, I'm, I keep on trying to peek at. Um, mm. What, what, what have you got in front of you? Well, I bought a couple of poems from that. I mean, I, I just, you know, it's all been quite last minute, this whole arrangement, isn't it? And I mm. picked them out. And they're not very uh, positive. They're not very happy. But they sort of tell, they're quite personal. It tells like stories of, you know, my do, own do, you want, do, you want, do you want to put something on, on, on the mic for us? Um, so I, I can try this, yeah. I, hope, I don't know if it's going to cheer anyone up or give anyone hope. But um, this is about, so it's sort of, you know, it's about my own issues with mental illness, mm. which all kind of came around 2001. And actually, the show's been recorded on September the 11th, right? So mm -hmm. this is like, and I think there was a big, there was a big change in the world then. And it was a big change in me around that time when I was 19. Mm. All right, so this is called Once Upon a Time. Once upon a time, men thought it mad to deny the devil or believe we weren't born bad. Damned with the original sin of our original ancestors. Do not doubt what we know to be true, was the message then. And so it is now. Don't speak with your mouth full. New rules to ensure asylum is not a front for terrorist entry. The Lord your God does not slumber or sleep and will watch over you all the days of your life. Tidy your room. Take your elbows off the table. Millions starving in Africa. The war on terror. Laws will be changed. Those who abide by the rules get the help. This is a battle with only one conclusion. Paranoid drug psychosis. No rights without responsibility. Put your coat on or you won't feel the benefit. My nature must have been nurtured misshapenly, or maybe no nurture could have straightened this crooked nature. Perhaps I was born with a kink in the brain. Spring 2001, rented mildewed walls, a throw over a sofa with hot rock holes, an ashtray smouldering, the smoke of an era's end. Nineteen years old, 
Stephen and me, my best friend, we watched Milosevic on the news defend the charge of genocide. Live from the witness box, he points to the empty blocks in the war crime prisons and denounces Western warmongers and deliberate double standards, and I must be mad because I agree with him. He was insane like Saddam, evil like Osama, crazy like those people who say the US are no better than crusaders seeking to impose their way of life on the infidel. It's hard to get my head around it. I must be going mad or something. Days later, the car crash. The police who happened upon the stash in the boot, the arrest and the long wait for trial, the date moved back again and again like an opposing line of soldiers that retreat but never drop their muskets. We are always in their sights. Now I call my mate with trepidation. I must be mad because I'm acting like the line is tapped and the walls somehow have ears. No one is innocent and we have all too much to fear. I was on the toilet when the big crash came. The summer ended with Lisa who brought the news of hijacked planes and amid the smouldering rubble of Pentagon and world trade, things would never again be the same. Suddenly it was us and them, hands at throats, a wrestle to the bitterest end. The Queen has written a letter on behalf of the people of England. On which side did I stand? This pale skin, this pampered mind, I'd returned early from a gap year in the Holy Land and after an argument over nationalism and Palestine, I'd dumped religion by the way. Now whose lines was I to read? What role was I to play? Maybe the stars, the fates, they have it all in the bag. I went to uni and Steve went on a tag. Our easy differences of class and colour, suddenly these things seem to matter. My paranoid brain frets and mutters uneasily. Now in conversation, subtle signs, there were messages to decode. My thoughts to x-ray eyes are dangerously exposed. They watch my every move. But the righteous warriors like Stephen, who have blessings to bestow, I do not deserve to receive them. I am afraid to meet them. Their heightened vision shines a light on how I have misused my freedom. Summer 02. Music in the park. My friends and I, we bounce around freestyle and drumming, but cannot see another crash is coming. A handstand and fall hit the floor hard while hundreds of miles apart, my brother's in a coma with his spine done in. Now the torment is ceaseless. I wander like Cain, racked by peaceless sights, walking terror through the city's sleepless nights, seeking out midnight folk, street drinkers who might advise. Wide-eyed to omens and signs, I sought the promised land, found locked doors I could not get inside. And behind it all in conspiracy, you, surely not you, my best friend, dealing in cold justice and finding me unequal. Not me, surely not me, me who could always keep above this, now found guilty and deceitful. My vanity swallows me, my guilt as plain as daylight everywhere around me. I am the world's evil, and my friend is the judge. His looks see through me, his voice in my head is as real as anything. He sends his spies and accomplices, messages present themselves to the radio, the TV. They'll come for me in time. My brother suffers for the sins that I know by rights are mine. The world sets into its new century and returning boom and bust, a cycle of drugs and fear and lust. The patterns drag me under, the terror lurks, they have my number, they know my works, they know my shame. My friend is gone, the police have guns, I have set my curse and the war is in my name. Thank you. Thanks, Sam. Um, I would like to dig into that poem, <laughs> but at the same time, we've kind of come to time on the whole show 
We have. How, we have. how quickly the time flies, which is a malleable thing. Sam, I, I want to ask, uh, yeah, where do you start? I mean, you got, what was that? I saw you like turning the pages on that. It's a, it's a very dense piece. And if it were on a cassette, it would prompt that. I'm just going to wear the cassette out and just kind of figure it back. There's lots of um, political references in there, but there's also a lot of um, vulnerability in there and personal sharing, um, which again, not to sound like a tired refrain, but you know, it's, it's very evident in mm. hip hop as well and can be seen in hip hop as well. Mm. Um, thank you yeah, so I mean, much for sharing that yeah, with us. Yeah, I mean, us. I don't enjoy reading it. Do you find <laughs> that that's, oh, that's some, that is a question? Do you find you, that is, you know, you never really hear that? You know, do do you find sharing poems that are vulnerable exhausting? Yeah, I, I, I do. I don't, you know, I don't often write about my own stuff, my own inner self, because I don't think that I'm the most interesting person in the world, right? And there's more interesting topics, but occasionally you're required to do so, and and um, yeah, and I find that hard because. It also puts me back into a mind state that was was very terrifying, mm. you know. Of um, if I had actually gone to a doctor, I would have been definitely put on some drugs, quite possibly locked up. But somehow I, I kind of started out, right? and um, <laughs> and I'm basically all right now, you know. But um, you know, fortunately, I I think fortunately I didn't. I'm kind of glad I didn't. But perhaps I could have done with some professional help. I don't know. Mm. Um, and so getting myself back in that mindset is quite hard for me. I don't know mm. if really that if it's not my f- first attempt to write poems about that period of time and that the kind of mind state I was in, but um, you know they've never really been very successful. I'm not sure <laughs> if that poem is either, but um, you know, I'm, at some point I'm going to find ways of writing about it. It's it's mm. not easy though. I don't mm. think. Yeah, I mean that's what we're finding about the whole the concept of a hidden lyric is we're, we're, we're quickly discovering that, you know, masculinity, mental health are not easy to talk about. It's, it's, it's something which, which is worth repeating, and that is um, so, something that we spoke about right at the top as we were introducing the show, is having brave conversations. And I, I try not to make that sound patronising in, in any way, shape or form, but it, 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 it's by brave I mean having conversations about something which is visceral for a lot of people society has constructed this set of barriers or obstacles which are very difficult to overcome and that is down to mental health as a whole it's down to maybe we spoke about the the fragility of of masculinity and and the abilities or the inabilities of men to be emotional for want of a better phrase it's also about what you're required to do right so your role is to be a certain way right Mm. um and if you don't fit into and partly that's about being productive citizen Mm. isn't it and that means about being the judgment almost the judgment of how sane you are is how fit you are for work mm. Mm. <laughs> you know and so it's it's a so if you don't fit into work if you are una- if your way of being is unable to fit in the world mm. it's not the world's problem it's your problem right mm. and and you know often i think maybe it's the world's problem maybe we should find ways of accommodating people who and i think other cultures and other societies and other times have been better and worse at including difference and different ways of mental health i think yeah i mean we, we we've made great strides in the last um generation or so going from institutionalization of people with mental health issues or, or mental health conditions to to being more rehabilitative of those people but there is still a long long way to go oh, a sure. long long way to go yeah and, and, um, you, and you know and there's some real problems like if you look at like the racial statistics of who's getting locked mm-hmm. up and who you know if you look at um 
you know, you you could probably look at gender and you could probably look at class and you see these. there's a lot of problems about who gets locked up, who's given drugs, mm. you know, who's allowed space to, to feel, mm. to, to talk about themselves and who isn't. Mm. You know, some of the stuff we were talking about earlier, I think that's, that's a that's a real big problem as well. Mm. Um, so so yeah, I mean, so keep the conversation yeah, going yeah. is what we're saying. Yeah. Sam, how can people get in touch with you um, on the internet? Don't give out your address. Right, yeah, yeah. No, if, you, if you want to talk about mental health, uh, probably not me. Uh, but if you want to find me, you can find me at Angry Sam Poet on Twitter. Brilliant. Um, yeah, perfect. Sam, thank you very much for coming along. Thank you for sharing your work. Thank you for helping us unpack this kind of huge beast. Um, this is Vit and Lyric. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, shout us out on Twitter. It's at Precipto-Man. That's P-R-E-C-I-P-T-O-M-A-N. Um, that's probably the easiest way at the moment to get in touch with us. Uh, my name's Martin. I've been Brendan. The affable Brendan. The affable Brendan. <laughs> yeah, the very affable Brendan. I've just been, you know, Freudian Martin. Um, <laughs> until next time, folks. Um, Thank you very much to our studio engineer and manager, Mikey. Yeah. Thanks, Mikey. Yeah. Good night, everyone. Good night. Or good day, however you're listening. Bye. Thank you. The Hidden Lyric. Hidden Lyric. Presented by. Presented by. Precipto. Precipto.